happening? Coming to you from the Costa Nostra studios, I'm Matty Buller, and welcome to Almost Wise Guys. This is our look at the upcoming Week 2 games across the NFL. we got a great episode ahead. With me, as always, from Almost Wise Guys Central, Andy, the prognosticator, Attridge. What's the good word, Andy? Well, thanks to our listeners who tuned in last week to our very first episode of Almost Wise Guys. We've already had some good feedback. Tad in Las Vegas really liked our POTUS pick segment. And even football fans who aren't avid gamblers appreciated it. Andrew in Toronto said he really enjoyed it, even though he doesn't know a lot about sports wagering. Again, if you haven't already, please press subscribe. And if you want to reach out with your thoughts, our email address is almostwiseguys at gmail.com. For additional picks and content, also make sure you head over to our Facebook fan page and hit us up with a like. If you go to the Facebook fan page, actually, this weekend, you go to Almost Wise Guys on Facebook, we're going to post our entire week two picks for Sunday and Monday. But uh, I digress. How did we do last week? Well, let's start with the Steelers-Browns game. Uh, We accurately called the under at 47. Um, Pittsburgh won. However, they failed to cover as a result of something called sportsmanship by kneeling down after the two-minute warning. Boo. Oh, yeah, no joke, man. We went one for two on that game. By the way, that was only one of two games, Chicago being the other, where the team that covered the spread did not win outright, and that's a trend to keep an eye on. And also another trend we should keep an eye on is this sportsmanship crap trend. These are professional athletes, and this is the pros. If you don't want the ball in the end zone, then feel the defense with a set of nuts. Shouldn't be up to the offense to take a knee. And uh, speaking of offenses, the Steelers' offense didn't really impress me that much. Like, really, they're playing the fucking Browns. <laughs> this is a team that continually fields one of the worst teams in the league. In fact, the only thing Cleveland is consistently good at is being bad. Uh, Le'Veon Bell, uh, a pedestrian, 32 yards on 10 carries. And as the season progresses, if the Steelers want to keep winning, they're going to need Bell to break a couple runs into the secondary. They need to get to that next level, keep defenses honest, and that'll allow Big Ben to, you know, make his attacks downfield. Yeah, no joke. And if you, if you remove the special teams touchdown that they got in the first four minutes, uh, the Browns would have won this outright. So... Again, interesting, interesting game. Yeah, very Move interesting. Move on to this, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles and Washington, and this was a straight-up miscalculation on my part. The Eagles looked good, and Washington did not. Washington Redskins, go fuck yourself. Sure, we'd be happy to take your money. Yep, just go to our Kickstarter page. Okay, nice idiot. Uh-huh, fuck you. Bye-bye. All right, Giants, Cowboys... It looks like I picked the Cowboys, eh? Yeah, Matty, you picked the yeah, you picked the Cowboys. Right yeah, on, man. It feels good to be right. Better show. Yeah, I think the Cowboys are going to be the class of the NFC East for the next few years. They've got the roster and some pretty good management now that Jerry Jones is actually not doing everything. Uh, I hope you're wrong, Matty. I, I really hope you're wrong. And the only thing else I got to say is, how about them Cowboys? Yeah! Yeah! All right, Atlanta, Chicago. Well, this is, you know, sometimes uh, when you're handicapping a game, you get a, you get a sore shoulder from patting yourself on the back too much. Uh, but this is one of those spots where a lot of people were taking Atlanta. We took Chicago. They had every chance to win this thing outright, but they, in fact, did cover by a half a point, depending on when you got them. So guess what? You know what they say to guys in Vegas who win a bet like this? Pay him. Pay that man his money. And as a Bears fan, I was all over watching this game. It was actually a nail-biter. 
Uh, the Bears' defense, they made marked improvements on their D-line and in their secondaries from last season. The running game is solid behind a great old line. The emergence of Tariq Cohen, uh, he had like some Marshall, Marshall Falk flashes. That could be the Bears fan well, they, beer they, goggles. but <laughs> times during the game for just for passing. Yeah, I, I'm excited about what they, I actually picked this kid up in uh, my fantasy pool on waivers uh, just to compliment Jordan Howard. <laughs> I may as well just field the Bears. <laughs> uh, Glennon did manage the game well, but it, it's not going to go get you to the Super Bowl because their Achilles heel, as it always is, is the passing game, especially when it comes to generating plays 10-plus yards and especially 30-plus yard plays. Uh, the final play of the game was totally maddening to a Bears fan. Uh, Fourth and goal, eight seconds left. You have to at least give the receivers a chance to make the play. Instead, Glennon takes the sack. Like, fuck me. Well, in fairness to Glennon, though, he had zero interceptions on the day, and Jordan Howard should have caught that pass on third down. Outcome would have been different, but you're right. Shoulda, woulda, coulda, buddy. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. Coulda, woulda, shoulda is the difference what I'm talking about. The good teams don't come in and say could have. They get it done. All right? It's that simple. I'm tired of saying could have, should have, would have. That's why we ain't good enough yet. Because we're saying could have and they ain't. All right, moving along. Seattle Green Bay. Seattle Green Bay. I uh, I suggested taking the over at 50. Wow. Wow. Wasn't even close. Boom. <laughs> Both defenses look great. Uh, we did, however, get the right side with the pack covering the three-point spread quite handily. Uh, another one for two. I really don't have a comment on this. I mean, really, fuck Green Bay. <laughs> Not only does Aaron Rodgers hate children and old people, I also hear that he's the kind of guy who watches Back to the Future and roots for Biff. Hello? Hello? Anybody home? Hey, think with fly. Think. Well, on Monday, we missed the call on the Saints covering. Stop, Bierce. Oh, beers. We did, however, hit the prop out on Adrian Peterson going under four, uh, 54 and a half. Winner, Genio. Um, by the way, by game time, that was down to 48. So total rushing yards by Adrian Peterson um, was somewhere, you know, floating in between 48 and 54. And Maddie and I had both joked in last week's episode that Mark Ingram and Adrian Peterson collectively couldn't hit that number. Guess yeah. what? Two of them had a combined yardage rushing of 35. And you could tell AP looked really upset on the sidelines, visibly upset, once sort of the reality of his new role set in. Oh, he's an alpha, and you know the guy wants to be on the field, but he better get used to it because I think long gone are the days of the workhorse back in the NFL. Platooning is the way to go. We'll never see another sweetness, Barry Sanders, Emmett Smith, Jim Brown ever again because the, the position is way too prone to injury to have all a team put eggs in the same basket. You know, when backs share the load, their longevity increases dramatically, and it seems to be pretty productive for teams as well because they can have one guy that's kind of there between the tackles and one guy that's their Tariq Cohen that's going out well, to the sideline and up the field. Uh, a third down receiving back, but um, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. We're not going to talk too much more about the other games, but I did want to uh, do some sort of broad strokes on, on a couple of things. From what we've seen in, in, in week one, clearly this is a young man's sport. Uh, I was considering the starting quarterbacks in week one. And looking at of the 15 games that were played, not 16 because Miami, but of the 15 games that were played, the team with the younger starting quarterback covered 
or push the spread in all of but four games. So they were 11 and 4 of 15. And you may have heard some of the older guys that I'm referring to, Drew Brees, Philip Rivers, Eli Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, Carson Palmer, Matt Ryan, and oh yeah, another game named Tom Brady. There's an old adage that the only person to have a perfect record in this league is Father Time. Undefeated. So gonna, what's that? Father Time is undefeated. He's undefeated. So this is a trend. I don't know if it's a trend yet, but I'm definitely going to keep my eye on it. But conversely, hats off to the newest class of running backs. Leonard Fournette hit 100 rushing yards. Dalvin Cook, 127. Tariq Cohen, who we just mentioned, over 100 all-purpose yards. And Kareem Hunt, buck 48 on the ground and another 98 through the air. Well done, guys. All right, news. News. Well, there's well, there's there's a couple things. One thing, you know, congratulations to the current free agent and journeyman cornerback Antonio Cromartie, who celebrated the birth of his 14th child this week. Ironically, this is the 33-year-old's third child since he had a vasectomy in 2013. I'm, I'm not even sure what to say. Uh, get a different urologist? Well, what I got to say about that is, at what point do you just say, fuck it, just start pulling out and shooting? <laughs> I mean, his child support payments must be larger than the GDP of some small countries. And uh, by the way, Mr. Cromartie, enjoy being featured on the next 30 for 30. Broke too. Yeah, Alonzo, who is five. I have um, Karis, who is three. I have my, my junior, which is three. I have a, my daughter, who just turned three as of yesterday. Um, I have another son named Tyler. That's a, he turns three in December. I got another uh, daughter that was born October 16th named London. Uh, another daughter that was born named Leilani, who's uh, two years old. And uh, I have uh, my newborn with my wife. Her name is Jersey. That must be tough remembering all of those names. We too have some new names to learn. This is our focus on awesome new rookie names. Awesome new rookie names. Well, now that everyone has one week under their belt, I'm sure that you've heard some interesting new names in the play-by-play, and we'd like to highlight a few of them. First off the bat, from the L.A. Rams, wide receiver Cooper Cup. Now, you may have heard of him preseason. In fact, he had a pretty good game against the Colts. Cooper Cup, his name sounds like something you would find at Sportcheck in the athletic supporter aisle. I think it's more like the name of a second-tier EuroLeague trophy, you know, the Cooper Cup. Oh, yes, after all these years, the Forest Green Rovers can proudly hoist the Cooper Cup. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's another guy from uh, my 49ers, a linebacker named uh, Peter Tim... Uh, I, dude, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. What is it? Tell me a poop. Tell me. Yeah, forget about it. PETA. What was that? Just call him PETA. PETA. Well, let's let him say it. All right, guys. My name is uh, PETA Taumorbenu. What was that again? Taumorbenu. A good, strong Irish name, to be sure. That's uh, He has a great talent, but you just don't want to invite him to a party or you have to order pizza with pineapples on half. 
You know what? As a 49ers fan, I just hope he has as many sacks this year as he does vowels in his name. But seriously, this kid from the Utah Utes should be fun to watch. Uh-oh. What was that word? Uh, what word? To what? What? Did you say Utes? Yeah, two Utes. What about uh, Dallas defensive end Taco Charlton? Well, let's hope this doesn't give Roger Goodell any bright ideas about having games on Tuesday nights now. Well, I assume he's uh, got that name because he runs right through you. <laughs> and no, we're not talking about that kind of taco, Bill Clinton. We're looking at you. I know you don't think you're good enough for me, but believe me, you are. Hell, I've done it with pigs. <laughs> Real no fooling pigs. Oh, do I ever miss Billy C and his little monkey shines? It's time to fire it up with our weekly picks. All right, Arizona Indy. Yeah, Arizona Arizona opened a minus seven, uh, over under at 45 and a or sorry, 44 and a half. It opened at 7.5, but quickly dropped to an even touchdown. Last week Indy was on to their third string quarterback with luck being injured and Tulzin having no luck on the field. Enter Jacoby Brissett. Things are really not looking good for them right now. Matt, Maddie, just so you know, I'm, I'm thinking. I'm thinking of a word. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Uh, I'll give you a hint, though. Um, it rhymes with Kaepernick. Is it Kaepernick? It's Kaepernick. It's Kaepernick. Yeah, but but aren't I'll, you I'll con- aren't you concerned up. that this young man puts his knee down when the anthem goes on? Can you believe that that guy does that in a league full of women beaters and DUIers? Uh, and, and and sometimes murderers. Yeah, he has the temerity to put his knee on the ground. Well, then, I think he should sit on the sidelines this year and just think about what he did. And and, and Indy will enjoy a losing record as a result. <laughs> yes. Yeah, every team will. And what point does winning trump politics? Because in the, in the NFL, the shield is all about the win, right? And now it seems to be about politics. But these teams need to make the money. They want to win. And there's got to be a point before the last signing day where somebody goes, you know what? The, like He's better than at least 15 of the starting quarterbacks that are playing in the league right now. And if not 15, definitely better than the bottom 10. I, at least that many. At least that many. He, he took a team on his shoulders to the Super Bowl, ran for a buck 78 against the Packers, the most running yards, rushing yards ever against any team. He's not forgotten how to play the, the pivot position. Uh, it's, this is very political right now, and we're going to see how it plays out, but... Um, One I more would, defense of Kaepernick I, I as well. Had a uniform on somewhere at the beginning of October. One more defense of Kaepernick as well is that he played with so many different offensive coordinators and, and a clusterfuck of a coaching situation in San Francisco with Singletary and all that shenanigans. And you know, I that poor guy so didn't really Singletary get a fair shake. And then Harbaugh, and then Chip Kelly. Yes, yes, he did. Yeah, right. And you, you know, the guy's got talent. And they're just not utilizing the talent, and that's the problem. Oh yeah, I guess we're still in the Arizona. <laughs> All okay, right, yeah. Let's go back to Arizona. The the, the Cardinals. They had oh, the, well, geez, they had that uh, the, that game in Motown in Detroit. Oh, to injury, their best player David Johnston left the game with a dislocated wrist. Now, Maddie, are we going to see him on the sidelines this week? 
It looks like it. I think I think he's going to be uh, he's going to be sitting because he hasn't been playing in practice. Dave's not here. In general, they look bad. Now with their top playmaker missing from the lineup, Bruce Arians is going to have his hands full on the road. Bruce Arians. Now I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly what to think about a 64-year-old white guy sporting a Kangol. Like, should we be confusing him with LL Cool J, or does he think we think he looks like LL Cool J? Anyway, my pick. As bad as they played last week, I'm taking the unlucky Colts at home as seven-point dogs. You know, I got to go against you, brother, and the reason is they are unlucky. No Andrew Luck. And I really don't think their defense has what it takes. I think the Cardinals get it done. They cover. Fair enough. Hey, you know what, Maddie? I just realized we should be doing this in chronological order, which would mean that we missed out on a certain Thursday night game. And there is one taking place this week featuring the Houston Texans and the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, if you don't already acknowledge that Thursday night games are an absolute joke, an insult to fans, consider that these two teams collectively scored seven points on Sunday. That's like a good hockey game. No, actually, dude, I've seen more scoring going on at drive-in movie theaters. (laughs) The players don't like the idea. The coaches don't like the idea. Uh, Weekly weekly office pool guys don't like the idea. It's simply an arrogant money grab on behalf of the NFL. And if you don't believe me, and you shouldn't necessarily so, here's what Richard Sherman said about it at the end of last season. Now, again, Matty, i got to go to the glasses here and make sure I get this right. My Seahawk teammates and I are playing in one of the last Thursday night games of the season this week. So, we are one of the last teams to be exploited in 2016. One of the last teams to be taken advantage of. One of the last to get the middle finger from the NFL. Now, last I checked, Richard Sherman was a graduate of Stanford, so he must be smart, right? Yeah. Or he had guys that took his test that were smart. violently protest this phenomenon by refusing to handicap these games. Now, that being said, I have heard from multiple listeners of our first episode, and they are clamoring for a pick. And we have to give the fans what they want, right, Maddie? We do. you got to give the people what they want. So here's how we're going to acquiesce. This week, I had my dog select the winner. Nice. Well, you might be thinking, Andy, how can you possibly get your dog to make a pick? Well, here's what I did. I sent out two dog dishes each with food indigenous to the geographic areas where both teams play. So whichever dish he went for was going to be considered the against the spread winner. So this week had Cincinnati hosting Houston as six-point favorites. In the Houston dish, I put a very, very touching meal, good old-fashioned steak. And in the Cincinnati dish, we, of course, had some bow-tie pasta covered in ranch dressing. Now, by the time you're listening to this podcast, the game's already occurred. So just to make sure that you know it's legit, I took a video of it and I posted it ahead of time to our Facebook page, Almost Wise Guys, so that you know we weren't cheating. So you know, my dog Woody, the three-year-old beagle, went right for the bow tie pasta. The official pick, Cincinnati Bengals at minus six. Good job, Woody. Other ideas, how our dogs can pick these games, because Maddie has one too. Please give us your suggestions on Facebook. Yeah, the, the picks are, are way below us. Thursday night football is truly the dog's breakfast. It is. It is the dog's breakfast. All right, 49ers and shithawks. Well, Maddie, we covered your Bears last week. This week we're covering my 49ers. 
Duh, uh, Niners. Ah, uh, Niners. I've been a 49ers fan since I was a little kid in the days of Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, Ronnie Lott. Ron, oh, my God, I'm getting shivers here right now. So Who are stop. they? I don't know. I've never heard of them. <laughs> been in the Hall of Fame. But you know what? In As of recent years, no other team has really gotten their craw as much as the Seattle Seahawks. And you know that after that last up and uh, loss up in Lambo last week, Seattle is going to bring everything. They don't want to go zero and two. That's not going to happen, or it might not. Maybe I'm wrong. Seattle, just so you know, uh, looking at the stats here, they're five and zero against the spread in the last five games at home against San Fran, and they've covered the spread in a, their last eleven of the past twelve meetings against the 49ers anywhere. Seattle's margin of victory in the past nine games when playing in Seattle against San Fran is 16.8. All right. That would lean you to pick the Seahawks, but hang on, hang on. Just for a second, suspend disbelief. Remove the logos from the helmets. You've got 53 professional athletes on one side of the field, and they're playing against 53 other professional athletes on the other side of the field. Two touchdowns, 14 points is a lot to give anywhere in the NFL. Now, couple that with the fact that there's a 70% chance of rain on, on Sunday in Seattle, which makes things a little bit more unpredictable and usually serves as an equalizer for a game. With me taking off my 49ers cap, I'm taking San Fran with the points. I'd have to. I'd hate to disagree with you, buddy. But Seattle's going to cover that at home. You were absolutely right. The Seahawks are going to be out for blood this week. Uh, they dropped a poorly played game against the Packers last week. They're going to want revenge. They don't want to go zero and two. And uh, the biggest difference, as well, is this week Seattle's at home, man, and it's one of the best home field advantages in the NFL. Although, if it's going to rain, you might want to take the under. Uh, it's already pretty low, but. Yep, who knows? Who knows? 21-7, buddy. <laughs> All right, let's move on to Tennessee and Jacksonville. Wow, this is, this is sort of a neat game. Um, the line opened up at minus 1.5 for Tennessee, bounced up to 2.5 for Tennessee, and then as of this recording is now back down to 1.5 for Tennessee. But I'm sure the Titans were really disappointed last week uh, with their home loss to the Raiders. Oakland played really well. Many people, including me, had higher expectations of the Titans this season. Uh, it's Mariota's third, third season, third trip around the block. He's got the weapons to contend. I could see them winning the division outright. Now, Jacksonville sort of stole one on the road against Houston, You know, a team that had spent the past two weeks dealing with Hurricane Harvey. It's totally understandable that they had not been entirely focused on the game. And, in fact, they were really quick with a hook on Savage. They threw Deshaun Watson to the Wolves, uh, I think it was before even the first half. He played pretty well, but I don't know if he was expecting uh, that early an entrance. But kudos to the Jacksonville defense, who was gritty. They were opportunistic. And Blake Bortles kind of looked like an NFL quarterback. So, Blake, congratulations on your third road win as a professional football player. By the way, Matty, this is the first time since... 2011 that the Jags are above 500. I don't see this happening two weeks in a row. Now that Allen Allen Robinson is out for the season, Jacksonville should be excited about Leonard Fournette. But 
you know what? Take the Titans, take them early. I see this line getting bigger as it gets closer to game time. You know, I can't believe I'm going to say this, and I'm perhaps I've just become delusional. But Jacksonville, they look good. <laughs> they, they like the defense. Good. The defense, defense really looked good, and I'm a defense guy. I love D first, and if you got Blake Bortles, and they're at home, and you know they, I mean, the running game. Like I mean, these guys, they. I'm not going to yeah, say they're for real, but I'm going to say they're going to win this game at home. Yards, but they fed him the ball over 20. In fact, he had 17 carries by halftime. Yeah, and you know what? That's what Jacksonville needs to do because you got to take the pressure off Blake Bortles. Yeah, if, but you can't be that predictable. Yeah, but if the running back's tearing it up for 100 yards, who gives a shit how predictable it is when he's turning out first downs? I'll run well, fucking 40 dive run. rights in a row if I'm you just lost. getting first downs. Um, you know what? I got Leonard Fournette in my fantasy pool. I love the guy I've been following at LSU for the last two seasons. I think he's going to be great. But trust me, on one-dimensional offense, they're not going to do well. Allenson Robinson out. Trust me, the Jags are getting their ass handed to them. All right, man. We're on for that bet. All right, Patriots Saints. Ooh, Jesus. Wow. What a what what a ten day stretch for Tom Brady. It probably feels like a month for him. Oh, I know. He's probably crying at home on his bed of money with his hot wife. <laughs> yeah, I feel really bad for him. You know, he came out last week with his third worst completion percentage against the Chiefs, and obviously the defense looked horrific, giving up over five hundred yards. I don't know if you saw him on the sidelines in the fourth quarter. He kind of, he looked like he looked like someone had stolen his avocado and bean sprout salad from the team dressing room before the game. Yeah, it looked like they made him eat the smushy cookie. <laughs> now this week's going to be different. This week's going to be different. New England, who played last Thursday, remember, had a few extra days to prepare and recover, and New Orleans played on Monday night, so in a short week for them. So just going back to last year, the Pats won all of their eight road games, and they went, in fact, seven and one against the spread, and Six of them, they covered, sorry, they won those games by double digits. Conversely, the Saints are 1 and 10 in their past 11 games in the month of September. Even though New Orleans tends to get undervalued at home, I'm going to take the chalk side of this. Right now, the Pats are sitting at minus six. Uh, as long as it stays under a touchdown, I'm all over it. Oh, another thing, Matty, the, uh, the total on this game, it, it opened at 53. Two and a half or 53, I believe. Now up to 56. I think the public has driven it up. On the surface, you know, you got the Pats, you got the Saints. That, you know, it seems like a blowout. But we're going to have to wait for game time of this. But if Dante Hightower is healthy and in the defensive lineup for New England, I think there's some really good value on the under here. I would even consider even taking the first half on the under if it climbs to 28 or above. All I got to say is poor Drew Brees. His secondary couldn't cover a sandwich with PB and J. And, uh, you know, pass coverage is kind of important when you're up against, you know, Tom Brady, the golden boy, with his man uggs, just muscling passes all around the field with his chiseled corn fed good looks. Um, <laughs> New England getting a full 10 days to prepare. I mean, Belichick's going to coach him up. They're going to go into the Saints' house, open up a serious. Can of whoop ass. Take the pats. I don't give a rat's ass if you're worth a billion dollars, two billion dollars. You piss me off, 
I'll open up an $8 billion can of whoop ass and serve it to you. And that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> Jets Raiders. Well, the Raiders did very well on the road. It's not a surprise, but Tennessee seemed like a really good team coming out of the gates. Um, a lot of people had picked them possibly to win the division, uh, myself included. But let's go back to the Raiders for a second. And their kicking game. Because they traditionally relied heavily on really loose immigration policies. Eastern but, block. Eastern block. <laughs> you got Sebastian Janikowski, who was picked in the first round 17 years ago from Wallabrook, Poland. I hope I'm saying that right. My, uh, my Polish is a little rusty. But now they got a new guy. Enter Giorgio Tavecchio from Milan, Italy. He's going to likely be their new full-time kicker. Uh, knowing that Janikowski is going to be on their IR for the next little while with a back injury, Giorgio was four for four on field goals, uh, with two of them coming uh, for more than fifty yards long, and they they split the uprights right up the middle. He looked really good, so he's going to be their new kicker. Good for them. The Jets, however, they're three and fourteen in the past seventeen games that they played in late afternoon. Now it's the Jets, so I don't really think it matters what time of the day. It is for them to get to that mark. Here's my pick, Maddie. Picking the Jets. I'm picking a backdoor cover in garbage time, and I'm taking the points with the Jets, putting them in my back pocket, and I'm going home. Uh, yeah, 13 points for the Raiders at home. Uh, I don't know. And here's a fun fact first, by the way. Derek Carr is cousin to Eric Carr, ex-drummer from KISS. Actually, that's not true, but I thought it would be really cool anyway. But uh, I don't think the Raiders are going to cover. Brother that played in the league. What's he that? He played for the uh, Houston Texans. Oh, maybe he, maybe he played. Maybe he was a musician as well. Maybe yeah. Maybe they uh, could form the Car Brothers band and uh, do washboard music. And that's they could call themselves the Cars. Somebody needs to play that jug with the triple X on it. <laughs> but. Um, I can hear the dueling banjos already. Uh, they, you know, the, the Raiders are going to win on the money the line. I, I totally, uh, the Raiders, they're going to win. Silver and black intimidation, I think, is back in the AFC, and I think that's a good thing for the entire NFL as well. But uh, I agree with you, Andy. The smart money takes the Jets. Well, they don't call us wise guys for nothing. All right, Washington, L.A. Rams. Well, here's what I'm going to say about this, and it's pointed to the Rams. You can see firsthand how much a really qualified defensive coordinator makes a huge impact. Wade Phillips, I don't know if you remember well, but two years ago when the Broncos won the Super Bowl, he was the defensive coordinator there, and I, I believe that he single-handedly won that for them. Yeah, yeah, Vaughn Miller, yeah, 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 they're great defensive players. But Wade Phillips was the guy that brought it together. Now he's playing. Or he's the uh, Rams coordinator. So let's just quickly go through the stats from Sunday. This is what his defense had done: four sacks, two interceptions, one fumble recovery, one safety. They allowed single-digit points and two defensive touchdowns. Now, normally, when you think of a really good defense, like the Steel Curtain or the Bears in the '80s or the Baltimore Ravens when they had Ray Lewis, or even the Seahawks when they won the Super Bowl, usually just the fact that they're on the field would bring the over-under total down quite a bit. The Rams scored 14 points just on defense, which, by the way, is 
uh, more points than seven entire teams scored last weekend. So well done. Watch out. Oh, by the way, Aaron Donald, the Pro Bowl defensive end, he signed his contract last week and is going to be in the lineup this week. Conversely, Washington's offense looked anemic and out of step. Like, they weren't getting anything done. For the Rams on the offensive side of the ball as well, Goff played well. Like, he, he, I think he was 21 for 27. Gurley looked all right. The receivers looked sharp. I, I really like this spot here for the Rams, especially at less than a field goal. Pick the Rams at minus two and a half. I agree. Washington didn't impress anyone on week one. But uh, I got to disagree with Andy on the result. I think I uh, I expect the Skins' passing game to recover. Uh, I still have faith in Cousins in the receiving core, especially Terrell Pryor being on my fantasy team. You better catch touchdown pass this week, and uh, you know they'll be on the same page with each other. These guys are professionals; they've been there before. Just had to knock the dust off there in Week One. Uh, they're going to cover on the road, and uh, I, I do think the over though is a good pick. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because Washington, um, of the last five road games, they've all gone over. Uh, four of Los Angeles' five games have gone over. And it, with, the, uh, with the Rams altogether, five of the last five games have gone over anywhere. So it, there's a lean to the over. It looks kind of high for a defensive-minded team, but uh, there could be a lot of points scored here, and I'm not sure on which side of the ball. The Monday Nighter, Lions Giants. Yeah, that spread right now is at sitting at minus three uh, with a total of 43. That line hasn't changed throughout the week. The Lions looked impressive at home against the Cardinals. Stafford, he's, he's earning his paycheck at $135 million. However, Stafford kind of has a Jekyll and Hyde complex when it comes to his performance at Ford Field, well, versus anywhere else. Matty, I got a stat for you, okay? You get a guess at this. So, let me lay the table out. Matthew Stafford has gone on the road 26 times against a team that has finished with a winning record. In 26 games, what do you think his record is? Oh, I don't know. Maybe he went uh, 400? Matty, 1 and 25. (laughs) 1 and and 25. (laughs) Wow. Winning record against road teams that have a winning record. So, sorry, road games against teams that have a winning record. So let's assume for a second, let's suspend reality and assume that the Giants will get their shit together and eclipse the 500 mark this year. It doesn't look good. By the way, the Giants are 5-1 five at, five and one at home against the spread in their last six games. And with Odell Beckham Jr. back in the lineup, look for New York to right the ship. Cause, and, in fact, this total seems a little low as well. At 43, take the G-men and the over. I'll make this quick. I'm selling the Giants this year. I think this is a team in decline. Seriously, selling them hardcore. Like these guys, I couldn't get my order into the exchange fast enough. I'm taking the Lions. And Matt Stafford, by the way, props. Your first throw of the year goes back as a pick six, and then to come back with the game you had, that is uh, impressive. Well, I think fourth quarter comebacks is kind of his raison d'etre, is it not? Yeah, well, when you got the nuts in the fourth quarter, that translates into wins. It's terrible that he has to put himself in that situation every week. No, it's terrible that he has to play for the Lions. (laughs) Yeah, it is. All right, let's move on to POTUS picks. As you know, we have tapped in 
to the Soviet uh, White House hotline and because we met Trump at a learning annex. And now that he's president, he still loves to talk football with us. So here we go. It's time for the POTUS picks. Mr. President, after losing soundly to the Rams on Sunday, what would you say to the Indianapolis Colts about the playbook for this week's game against Arizona? I highly think you should read this book quickly. Quickly! Mr. President, you are now aware of where Andy and I stand on Thursday night football games. What's your opinion of them? I assume the ratings would be far higher than they would be normally. Mr. President, the Cleveland Browns have now lost 34 of their last 38 regular season games. What do you have to say about this? I didn't know you had droughts this far north. And now that we've got Trump and his two cents worth, I'm bringing in to the Cosa Nostra studios, the commish, the commissioner of my fantasy football team. And uh, commish, there were a lot of breakout rookie performances in week one. What rookie do you think is going to have the biggest impact on fantasy leagues this year? If you're looking for a couple of rookies for your fantasy league, here's a couple you need to keep your eye on. Leonard Fournette, running back for the Jaguars. He had an impressive debut. He is on a terrible offensive team. And the Texans were the perfect opponent for the Jags to let him run wild on in week one. However, that having been said, the Titans are not going to be the same team this weekend for him. The other rookie to keep an eye on, Cincinnati Bengals running back, Joe Mixon. You can make a case for starting Mixon. He's playing that same Texans defense this week. So maybe think about dropping him in, especially if you've got a deeper league. What about tight end matchups this week? Um, These usually are a reflection of the defense they are playing against, right? When you want to talk about tight ends in a fantasy league, it is one of the most susceptible positions to whoever you're playing on D. But here's a couple that you're going to want to keep an eye out for this weekend. Uh, Jared Cook for the Oakland Raiders. Charles Clay put up 53 yards for the Bills plus a touchdown against the Jets D last week. And Jared Cook has even more upside than that. Cook caught all five of his targets in week one and is just 54% owned. Pick him up if you can. The second guy you want to keep an eye on, Zach Miller for the Bears. The Bears keep losing receiving options. Kevin White is out as well. Miller, arguably the team's best pass catcher. That makes it all the more amazing. He's just 8% owned in most leagues. Go out and pick him up if you can. How about letting us in on some of the popular ads and drops after week one? If you're looking to make a dent in the waiver wire, maybe you're too late for week two. But here's a couple of players to keep an eye on. Tariq Cohen. With Cameron Meredith out, five foot six Cohen looks to fill a much-needed pass-catching role for Mike Glennon. By catching 8 of 12 targets, he had 47 yards and a touchdown. He also ran for 66 yards. You can't count on those averages to hold up, but they do speak to an existing skill set that's going to get you some points in the fantasy numbers. The other guy you might want to think about picking up this week, L.A. Rams wide receiver Cooper Cup. Four balls, six targets, 76 yards and a score. Even though the performance came against the clearly blown out Colts D in that 46-9 route, he still led the offense in receiving yards and showed that the preseason buzz between him and Jared Jeff did not turn into a pumpkin once the game counted. He's probably not going to find Paydirt every week, but he should see enough volume to get you some numbers if you drop him into your lineup. I think it would help a lot of our listeners, especially when it comes to the waiver wire, if you could rank in order the top 10 kickers that you would have on your roster. 
I'm totally just bullshitting you, man. I would never ask you to do that. Thanks a lot for stopping by, ladies and gentlemen, the commish. Now we move on to prognosticators pick them. Andy, what kind of props are we looking at this week? All right. I will tell you there is one on the line that I'm looking at closely. Um, now, it's minus 200, so the juice is big. But if you want to take something close to a sure thing, the over-under on the total number of interceptions that Sam Bradford will throw in Pittsburgh is a half. Now, he's thrown 52 picks in 63 games. They're playing on the road in Pittsburgh. We all know about their defense. Uh, I'm highly suggesting taking this one to the bank. Beauty. Yeah, I agree with that 100%, man. Bradford's always throwing it to the other team. He's got a lot of Jay Cutler in him. A quick shout-out to the Cleveland Indians. The Tribe have now won 21 games in a row. And, uh, Andy, put that in perspective for our listeners. Well, it's interesting. They won 21 games in a row, which, you know, puts them back in August. The Cleveland Browns have not won that many games in the past five seasons combined. Now, Maddie, before we get out of here, I need to discuss one more thing, and that would be the boxing match this weekend. And I mean the real boxing match. Not two sweethearts who have no business being in a boxing ring. We're waiting for a referee or a judge or a doctor to preempt the fight to dictate the outcome. I'm referring to the very legitimate bout between Saul Canelo Alvarez and Gennady Triple G Golovkin. Two guys who throw knockout punches and have the ability to end things quite quickly. This match has been referred to not as a fight, but a war. In fact, it's even been compared to the epic bout between marvelous Marvin Hagler and Tommy Hearns in 1985. With no less than three belts on the line and with Golovkin as the slight favorite now at minus 160, this indeed proves to be the fight of the year. Now, to be sure, Mr. Contender, this is your account. And I'm curious to know your thoughts and your feelings and your predictions about it. Well, straight up, taking Alvarez to win. First of all, i got to say, he's a red-headed Mexican guy. That is so freakish, and I love that they call him Canelo, which is cinnamon in Spanish. Um, so I do have a bit of a conflict of interest, though, is that I'm a huge Canelo Alvarez fan. And uh, my reasoning, though, is on terra firma. Triple G is the favorite, and rightfully so. He's 37-0, 33 of his wins coming by knockout. He's a machine, and he's got to be given his due. He's got heavy, heavy hands. The heaviest hands at this weight class since a little-known fighter named Sugar Ray Robinson. And that being said, he's older than Alvarez, and he's had fewer fights in his longer career. Conversely, Alvarez, younger man, uh, 27 as opposed to Golovkin's 35, has 51 professional fights under his belt and sporting a record of 49, 1-1 with 34 wins by knockout. The kid is hitting his prime right now. And this is going to be the biggest test of Triple G's career by far. His, so, like Alvarez's foot speed, his movement, his hand speed, his ability to stand and trade in the pocket, I think is going to be too much for Triple G to handle. Oh, yeah? The only loss of Alvarez's career... Take a guess to whom? None other than Floyd Money Mayweather. And that was when Alvarez was much younger and Mayweather made him cut a bunch of weight for that fight. So if if that is Alvarez's only loss to the best defensive boxer, some say ever, definitely of his generation, uh, Alvarez is no slouch. And if you're going to give me underdog odds on him, I'm taking him. 
That's great. As the week progresses, I see this thing going closer to a pick on both sides. So Maddie's pick, I guess you better call Saul. Hey, the contender here. My pops was the former heavyweight champ, and I was Danielson to his Mr. Miyagi. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree just like my pops. I've taken too many shots to the melon and have a tendency to lose it on people due to something as simple as a misunderstanding. As a celebrity, I get invited out to a lot of charity events, so last week, Mrs. Contender and I went to a charity fishing derby. We were out in the boat, and Mrs. Contender reels in the catch of the day, a 30-pound northern red snapper. The fishermen that were all gathered around at the end of the day were amazed, and when we got back to the dock, Buddy Big Mouth pipes up, Hey, Contender, your wife's snapper's huge. Must be some kind of record. I says, Pardon? He said, I saw your wife's snapper. It's a beaut. Well, I lose it. I head faked him with a bucket of chum and the guppy took the bait, so I flew right into the body work. As he recoiled, I hit him with an uppercut so hard I knocked his mother out and she lives two towns away. Now I've got Buddy Big Mouth flapping around in the boat like a trout waiting to meet Mr. Orr. In the flurry, I grab the anchor rope, tie Mr. Big Mouth to the front of the boat so he can do his best Leo DiCaprio impression from Titanic, the part of Kate Winslet being played by the carp I duct taped to his face. Just before I push him off into the open water, I get right up in his grill and said, Is that I saw your wife's snapper? It's a beaut enough for you. And ever since, they call me the contender. Thank you to all of our fans for listening to this, our second podcast of Almost Wise Guys. If you like what you heard, make sure you hit the subscribe button on iTunes so you don't miss a show. You can also hit us up on our Facebook fan page for additional content and picks from all week two games across the NFL. From the Cosa Nostra Studios, for Andy, the prognosticator Attridge back at Almost Wise Guys Central, and the Commish from Parts Unknown, I'm Matty Buller. Get out and pick yourself a winner. Tune in next week at the same bet time on the same bet channel. Sayonara. But tonight.